everyone, this is your host, Rob Keats of www.goldsilverpros.com. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, and this is your weekly market wrap-up. Today, we're going to talk about what's going on in the economy. We've got a lot of charts today. We're very chart-heavy on the data, showing you where we're going in the economy and why we're likely headed to a rollover. This is on the heels, of course, of our interview last week with Stephen Hotchberg talking about Elliott Wave analysis or pattern analysis on economies and where we're likely going and why gold and silver are going to be in a big bull market this year and why the rest of the markets, stocks, real estate, bonds, and other things uh, are going to have quite a bit of trouble and volatility should be up this year as well. We've also got uh, a good report on the gold and silver. We're going to show you why gold and silver are allowed to rise a little bit this week based upon the trade. And we're going to look at the CFTC commitment of shares reports and see what the bullion banks are doing and what all of the other financial types are doing in the market. So to start off, I want to talk about the data that we had last week. A couple of main data points that I want you to pay attention to. The consumer price index report, which came out last Tuesday, was up 0.3%. We have the return of inflation. Inflation is not raging right now, but it is increasing. Uh, at a time when the economy is not doing well, that is sort of stagflation. But really, I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a big deflationary way, but with inflation going up at the same time because of the dollar weakening. And because so many dollars have been printed and people are de-dollarizing, that means the dollar is weakening, which means uh, as the dollar weakens and more of those dollars flow back, we'll have more inflation return to the U.S. And that's the stage we're in. We're in stage two of that big inflation cycle, that three-stage inflation cycle that I've been talking about now for about about a year since about this time last year. Uh, core CPI is up a lot, 3.9%. Uh, the manufacturing continues to crater. The Empire State Manufacturing Survey is down uh, to negative 2.4. It's not as bad as it was last month at negative 43.7, but it's still declining. The Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing Survey was slightly positive at 5.2, but overall manufacturing not doing well. The biggest thing is the consumer is tapped out. We talked about the credit defaults that have been happening since uh, December, you had the buy now, pay laters. You had the credit defaults starting then. We're now in February. Credit defaults are up and consumers are spending less because they've maxed out the credit cards. Now they have no more money. And that's what's going on there. Retail sales are definitely down and industrial production is down a little bit. Capacity utilization for the overall economy. That's how much uh, we're producing based upon our capacity to produce is at 78.5%, which is not ideal and not particularly strong. Um, and that means we're just not producing what we can because we're just not there. The key one, the key indicator to look at is U.S. leading indicators report. That is the group of indicators that the economists look at to see how the economy is doing. That's been down for 22 uh, straight months, which is the longest strength since the Lehman event or what happened, which led to the Great Recession. Next, we're going to talk about what's going on with the stock markets. All right. As far as the rest of the market goes, the bond market is under some stress. You have the two-year trading at 4.612 and the 10-year at 4.279. You may remember some of the, what I call the euphoria stage to end the year. Uh, last year, as we went through the heavy retail, people were feeling good. Consumer confidence was up. Bond rates had come down. The two and the 10 had slipped below 4%, but now they're solidly in that territory. And the two and 10 are still yield curve inverted, which is still predicting a recession. In fact, I think we're in a recession. So the bond markets are telling us that we're not out of the woods and that risk has increased. And that little respite that we had at the end of last year was really temporary. And that was just how people felt. And that was reflected in the bond rates. But when brass tax come to brass tax and we get down to looking at the first quarter and looking at 
uh, the overall quality of the economy, the bond rates are going right back up, which is signaling risk. And another thing that's signaling risk is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is up at $139 today. As I'm looking at the screen, it's trading at $52,007.58. Most of the crypto complex I'm looking at is uh, green, meaning we're having an update, a little moderate update, but based upon the news, the stock markets are down. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ clo closed lower on Tuesday, dragged down by NVIDIA. NVIDIA was not reporting uh, great results. Some of the tech sector really is in a bloodbath where some of the tech sector is doing well. But as you look at the valuation of the tech sector overall, 30 times P&E price to earnings ratio, it's really, really high. That's a signal of a bubble more than likely that's what we're going through. Next, we're going to give you a report on gold and silver, and then we're going to get into the charts and the story of the day, which I think you guys will really like. There's a lot there to get into. We're going to jump right on to the share screen. Looking at the gold market, we've had a little bit of elevated volume. However, this time we've had a, you know some sideways strain, but a little bit of a little bit of punch to gold uh, today in particular. So it's nice to see gold up on a day in which trading is elevated slightly. Now, this is not any sort of big move or anything, but it's just nice to see. Uh, as we look at it, uh, April is the big month here. You can see 318,948 contracts under open interest, which is this last column here. That tells you how much overall interest there is in the market, not necessarily the closed deals, but how many contracts are open, whether it be for the April contract or eventually be rolled into a future month. Remember, this is the futures market which determines spot price, but it is not a phys heavily physically traded market. And they're trading the potential price down the road in the short term, usually 60, 90 days, that type of range. And so they're not really looking at large uh, geopolitical events or fundamentals as much as they're looking at where is the price likely to move in the next couple of months based upon what the trading data itself says. So it's a lot of the trading goes on there is speculative and is sort of trending, uh, not necessarily long-term view. And usually you'll see the prices rise when there's a lot of risk in the market uh, immediate term risk, like a war or economic issue or a banking issue. We're not sitting on top of any of those immediate big news headlines right now of something substantially going on. So I expect gold and silver to range trade here a bit for a little while. On Thursday's video, I'm going to do a breakdown. We're going to do an update on the Elliott Wave analysis we did a couple of months ago for silver. So stay tuned for that. Um, the person, the subscriber that provides this data to me, we're going to go over that now. I'm not I'm going to be very cautious about timing in the market, but it looks like this year we're getting confirmation from two different uh, uh, Elliott Wave analysts that gold and silver will have a bull market here for the rest of the year, which I think is very, very positive. And overall, I think we're looking uh, really good in terms of what's going on in the gold and silver markets, at least the setup for the next big tick up. Now, looking at the data, you can see that we had 1,741 exchange for physicals. That's just moving from a COMEX-based position over to London. Usually that's hunting for gold or price differences. It means that price and or availability of gold is lower here in the United States than it needs to be to service the market. So people take their contracts over there to get some exposure to the UK market. That was uh, Friday's, Friday's data. We don't have Mondays because it's President's Day. Thursday's data, we had a lot of BFPs, 2,539. Although these are lower than they have been in recent weeks. Um, Wednesday's data with 5,433. So we're still getting a lot of people trying to get exposure over to that more physical uh, OTC market in uh, the UK as far as gold goes. When we look at settlements, I'm just going to I do this every show just to teach you how this works. This is where spot price is determined. How do I know? Because the settlement number is right up against what the spot price is on the dominant uh, month. Now we're going to highlight April since it has the most contracts. You can see that the open interest is higher here. And so the price closed down um, 
earlier today at uh, 20.39.80 cents, up 15 bucks, which is really good for gold. If we look at last Friday's data, again, Monday was President's Day. We didn't have trading. Last Friday's data, it was up $9.20. And if we look at last Thursday's data, it was up $10.60. So last several trading days, we've seen a little bit of rise in gold. And I'll get to why that's the case when we look at the commitment of traders and what the traders are actually doing, because the traders are the ones that put in the trades and the trades on the derivative market, the paper market is what determines the spot price that if you're buying physical, you're going to pay online or at your local coin dealer. On silver futures, overall, you can see you've had a negative change today of about 1.83%. Silver didn't do great. We've had some elevated volume and silver actually was kind of taken down in a way in the last few days. It hasn't traded up. And usually with elevated volume and trade, when you have that price coming down, that means the shorts are in adding more of that short paper. And the appetite is not to go long on the short term paper. It's to go short or let the price decline. Uh, that definitely does help manufacturers who are looking for cheaper physical silver who can use that price to source it and buy it, whether it be on the industrial exchange, the COMEX, or just in the market from a miner or elsewhere they, that they can get it. Not necessarily good for the producers. Right now, silver is trading at about below, you know, below, uh, probably a buck or two below, depending upon the primary silver miner of the miners getting it out of the ground. So a lot of the primary silver miners are not making any money right now, at least on current production, given the prices that we have. March is really the big month for silver. You can see open interest is here, but it's quickly rotating into May. May has almost the same amount of open interest that March does. So there are a lot of what's going on the back half of February or silver trade is rolling off of uh, March and into May. And so you're going to see some, some price fade there as that happens, as some long and short positions are closed. So that makes sense that that's what's going on. EFPs are still elevated for the March contract. You have the 1,082. Uh, as of earlier to, or Friday's data, sorry, on Thursday's data, the EFPs moving over to London, you only had 125. Uh, the thousand on Friday was a lot. You had 835 here on Wednesday. This is Wednesday's data to 835 EFPs. And looking over at the settlement data, you can see what's going on today. We closed down about 33 cents on uh, the March contract, and that also rolled forward. To future months in May. So it looks like people are expecting silver price to continue to fall. This is Tuesday's data. If we go back to last Friday's data, we're actually up about 52 cents. And if you go to Thursday's day, we're up 56 cents. So silver had pretty good week, 22 cents on Wednesday and on Tuesday, down 61 cents. Overall, silver was up last week. It's being pushed down this week. Again, just a range trade. I don't expect anything big you know, to come out of that data. It's really just gold and silver range trading a little bit. One's moving one direction, one's moving the other, but nothing's doing anything substantial. Again, the news cycle is not dragging this either way. So the traders are out there just scalping for a few cents on either side of the trade. And it's just net moving around of those paper contracts, not necessarily uh, what the physical flows are. And if you've watched my channel uh, over the years, you know, when I document this, a derivative market is not a good indicator of the bullion market or necessarily vice versa. Uh, it's only when you get into a panic that you have massive deliveries that can push up the price on the market. Typically, it's just paper trading around on what uh, the traders want that to be. So we'll go down to the commitment of traders report. This is silver. I'll just highlight all the information for you. First thing I'm going to look at is here at the summary table on the bottom right here, this piece right here. As you look, the eight uh, or less traders short is 43.9 concentrated position. Eight or less traders long is only 22.6. So there's more of a concentration on the short side in the precious metals. There always is. I just like to point it out there for you. And overall, uh, what we've seen is a little bit positive. The swap dealers of the bullion banks, which we call the sharps, and the people that tend to drive the market a certain direction typically 
are actually releasing shorts and going long, net long in silver. And this is data leading up to February 13th, which is the latest day that we have. As you can see, I'm live right here on the CFTC's website, right on the table that they printed as I open this right before the program. So overall, silver price is rising a little bit. You can see that in the Commitment of Traders report. They released some shorts, added some longs. They're net long in silver for the first time in a while. They have been, you know, for a couple of weeks. But for the first time in a while, uh, and when this happens, usually either a big slam down is coming or a big long is coming. Uh, and by big, I don't mean necessarily 10% of the price, but I mean a substantial move that you would notice on a given day. Um, I suspect that gold and silver are going to start to move up in March, April, May timeframe, because that's typically uh, one of the bullish seasons within the year for the precious metals as people get into trading and after sort of the winter break and then before a little bit of the summer lull that we have. And this is absent of a big news cycle event uh, bringing in investment dollars, uh, fear investment dollars or monetary investment dollars into those markets. So for right now, we expect silver to go a little bit long. And I think that's why the swap dealers are sort of positioning long for the spring up. So they're not uh, positioned too much short. And I think overall, uh, that's a good indicator of what's going on. Of course, the other side of the trade where the managed money types taking the, the short, uh, probably expecting silver to continue to be weak, uh, probably not aware of the seasonal trade that's going on right now. So to me, a lot of this in gold and silver looks like seasonal positioning. Uh, gold's a little bit more pronounced. You'll see that here in a moment but it looks like a lot of seasonal positioning. But I think that there's an element of the banks and some of the big financial houses and the wealthy investors looking at this going, hmm, I think we're going to go long in the spring, not only because it's seasonably correct to do so, but we're doing it because we're starting seeing weakness in the banking system, in the markets. The stock market is in a definite bubble. Real estate and bonds are in a different bubble. You have the bond rates going back up again after the beginning of the year. You've had not great earnings reports. You've seen a lot of layoffs to begin the year. Now, this can happen. A lot of times you have layoffs and not great earning reports to begin the year. Uh, well, but if that's sustained past the first quarter, then you know we're about to go and probably into the next leg of that recession I've been talking about here for a couple of years. And maybe even to the deflationary uh, end of it, maybe eventually into a depression. We'll see if that starts this year. I've called 2024 an interesting year, and I think it definitely will be. We're going to go down to the bottom of the table right here, and we're just going to look at eight or less traders long and short. If you look again, the concentrated short position of the bullion banks, the swap dealers right here. And we know that from this report and also looking at the numbers office of the comptroller of the currency, the banks really are the heavy shorters where the rest of the market sort of blended into short and long. So we look at the banks first. They released a lot of their shorts, 21,000 contracts up through February 13th. Again, a week old data, but it shows you why gold's allowed to rise a little bit over the last week because they released a lot of that short pressure. The managed money took the other side. They took most of the longs. The other reportables, which are wealthy family offices, wealthy individuals, and that type of thing are definitely going long in gold. Let's go back up to silver. Uh, they're about, about even on gold on silver. I'm sorry, uh, long and short even. So uh, nobody really made big moves in silver unless it was the bullion banks and the financial houses. In gold, what you're seeing is the bullion banks and financial houses are taking opposite side of the trade. But you also see this other reportable category here, wealthy individuals going long in gold. So there seems to be, and gold is more of a bellwether of the economy before silver. Silver moves after, and it's heavily industrialized. So when you see gold people going long in gold first, that's a signal that you may be looking at a little bit of an extended move up in gold, some nice bullishness over the next couple of months, of course. If we get negative news on the economy, continue to get that. If bond rates continue to rise, if we have a bank failure or more information on the geopolitical front that's considered negative, you may see a bigger move, but it looks like we're setting up for the next couple of months. Gold and silver, maybe to get a bit frothy, 
not go crazy unless we have that big news event, but get frothy into uh, what we're going to see is the strength, uh, seasonal strength of gold and silver heading into the spring. And I think that's where we are there. Now, I wanted to talk about what's going on with the stock market. There's a really good article out. This is off of Zero Hedge by Real Investment Advice. I'm just going to walk through their charts because it basically says everything that I say in chart form in four or five charts. And it's a great piece of material to look at. And they're looking really at the long term. Of course, they're dating this back all the way to 1871, as you can see uh, over here, a long term in terms of what happens to the real price index. It has uh, pullbacks at certain periods of time. Overall, stocks have gone up in valuation. Uh, that's because mostly of technology and production gains that we've had as a society the last 150 years that this chart is charting out. Uh, but the monetary printing and other things like economic recessions and depressions and wars and things like that definitely affect to the downside. We have these downside periods. And how long do these typically last? Well, that's what this chart is talking about. As you can see here, we'd had a nice little rise during the Industrial Revolution. I'm down on the bottom left of the chart. Then World War One and minor depression for about 20 years. Then you had the roaring 20s go back up. Of course, easing conditions there. You had the creation of the Fed, uh, money pumped into the system. Uh, everybody got really ebullient. And then the big crash, which led to the Great Depression which cleared out over about 27 years. You'll see that the average correction is somewhere between 15 and 25 years for that stock market to recover. So after the Great Depression, even though we had the Great Depression, then the war, and then the big boom, you know, the 50s and 60s, it took that big boom 27 years to even get back to where we were. And then it continued through the early 1970s. And then we had 24 years of an overall decline in the stock market till it came back between the inflation period of the 70s and the early 90s. Then we had the big boom in the 90s, the technology stocks, the dot-com boom, which led to the dot-com crash. And we had about 14 years until about 2011 before uh, the, the stock markets caught back up. And that included the 2008 period where we had the Great Recession. So the dot-com crash crashed and we didn't recover until basically about 2015, 2016, that stock market from the dot-com crash. That was about a 15-year period. Now we've got a Fed liquidity boom from the Great Recession up through now. And then we have the AI revolution, which I think is just getting started. I don't think the AI revolution is boosting stocks too much. I think technology is doing it. We're in the age of tech, but look at what's happening to tech right now. We're overvalued in that tech market. I think it was a 30 P to E uh, price to earnings ratio, which is too high right now. And given the fact that we're having weak overall production, weak overall earnings across the board in the economy, tech cannot run by itself. It needs money from other sectors of the economy. And if other sectors of the economy aren't working, we're developing less tech, we're using less tech, we're buying less tech. There's less uh, capital investment dollars there, capital X, I'm sorry, capital expenditures or CapEx dollars there for the market. Now we're going to look at four 10-year real returns. And when those fall, it's a signal that we're probably going to have a recession coming. You can see that the four 10-year returns have been declining uh, for quite some time. And this is an indicator that eventually we're going to go into that negative territory or we're not going to have positive returns are going to have negative ones. Now, it doesn't predict that, and the article is very clear on that. In the short term, it's more of a long-term predictor. So you can see that the prediction is that we're here with this big red box, but it's likely to go down. And that aligns with the fundamentals and it aligns with history. And that is a really cool chart that we're looking at. That's a 10-year real return. So we're, it's a 10-year window that we're looking at. And it's showing that the next 10 years are likely to be negative growth in the stock market based upon the data. And this is a big dot plot and tons of data that went into this. So a great, great chart. Now, this one is the 13-week net bullish sentiment versus S&P 500. This is more of a sentiment indicator. A lot of what goes on investing, particularly the stock market, but also bonds and real estate and other assets, is when people are really into something, 
you know, it's a faith-based thing. They're like, oh, it can never go down and it's great and wonderful. And it's not necessarily connected to the fundamentals. It's just the emotion. It's the cultural emotion that we have as investors. When that is up, then the markets do well. And then there tends to be a big correction. You can see here on the chart. And the 13-week net bullish sentiment indicates that we're really high overall on bullishness. And the market is up, but it looked like a peak here. Because whenever we have these big green peaks over a couple, three years, it's usually an indicator uh, that we're probably headed for a little bit of a bull market. You can see what happened here, a nice little uh, ridge here and then a crash. We're really high on the chart, probably the all-time high that we've been here on bullishness sentiment, uh, sentiment, which means that people are bullish, even though the valuations don't reflect it. We're in the euphoria stage. Uh, just putting that in plain English, people are so bullish on the stock market and they think nothing can go wrong, they're going to push it higher, even though the fundamentals are weakening right now. That's what this chart says. This black line says that people are going to drive up the stock market and the stock market's going to continue to go until it matches that black line. And then likely when it does, boom, roll over crash. Now, that could happen here in the next few months. It could take a year. We don't know. These are just indicators based upon charting, you know, uh, based upon that sentiment indicator of how bullish people are. That's a really cool chart. This is a longer term chart. It goes back until 1905. It's about 120, 130 year chart here, actually a little bit before 1905, turn of the century. But it's looking at the bull markets and it's looking at real return of $1,000 invested. And you can see what happens when you invest a dollar a certain period of time. If you're investing at the bottom of the market as uh, delineated by these yellow bubbles here on the bottom and you invested a thousand bucks, then you can make quite a bit of money. And these are the average returns. So if between uh, about 1919 and the crash of 29, that 10 year period, if you invested a thousand bucks, you made uh, your return was 226.46 of what you invested. So you did really well. But then there was a big crash during the Great Depression. And then there was a rise up during the war years and then a crash rise up. And so this is the overall pattern. The reason I show you this is not to worry about all the squiggly lines on the pattern. It's to realize that these markets don't always go up and they never go up forever. And about every five to 10 years, we have some sort of crash. That's the whole point of the chart. And it shows you what's likely to happen. It also shows if you look at what the return invested is, it's so high here that more than likely this has to come back down to some sort of mean. So if we graph the mean from here all the way through here, this line's going to go like this. This is the mean. It's going to crash back down through the mean to some lower level when we have the next big recession. And again, it's just showing you where we are in terms of this bull. We've gone a little bit too far uh, com compared with historical periods. We're due for a correction. All the data is pointing toward it. And this is just a really good chart. The last one I wanted to show you is periods of zero returns. This is periods where you got nothing on your money if you invested in this market. So as we look at this market, um, 52 years of zero returns between the early 1900s all the way dating back to 29. And 29, you got some return there. So I, this is what I want to point out. From, night, from about the 1870s to about 1929, there wasn't a whole lot of return. If you go from about... Uh, 1900 to about 1950s before you got a positive return because you had uh, a couple of world wars in there. You had the big Great Depression. You had smaller little recessions. And so this is a year at which there wasn't a lot of return there until we had that big boom in the 50s and 60s and we had nice returns. And in the 70s, as we got into the inflation period, 26 years of zero returns. And then as we got to like the 90s, all the way to 2013, uh, 13 years of zero returns. Now look, at the returns we're getting now. And this is also happens to be because the amount of money printed, because your returns will be higher in the stock market when you print money, because money goes into the stock market and drives up the valuation of things. Now, have we had this much of a lifestyle increase? No. Have we had this much of a commodities boom and production boom? No. Have we had that much of a boom in manufacturing and lifestyle and technology? 
We've had a lot, but not what you saw on the chart. So I think why this crash will be bigger, that last chart really showed it is we had this uh, credit and dollar based just boom over the last you know 15 to 16 years, but we didn't have the production, the lifestyle increases and all the other increases to match it. And it was so outsized on the chart. That period of time was the most uh, most return we've had over the last 120 years, but we haven't seen the lifestyle increases, the, the job creation, um, the lifestyle uh, gains because of inflation, because of all the money printing. So that means the fall that we're likely going to have this time is going to be even bigger than we had, you know, dating back the last 120 years. And that's what that chart really showed is we were way too abolient. And that last chart, really, I'm going to go back to here for a minute, was really a measure of how abolient we've gotten, relatively speaking. Let's go back for just a sec. And as you look at it, we had a nice boom in the 50s and 60s, but we didn't see that kind of return. We had a nice boom after the war. We had a nice boom leading in the 20s and the roaring 20s. This credit fuel boom makes the rest of that look stupid, ridiculous. So if I think that's one of the reasons why this would be bigger than the Great Depression, uh, because when you, at least in terms of a stock valuation, an overall portfolio destruction that's likely to occur for people that are invested in that market, probably also the bonds of real estate, I'm sure, uh, just because of the the fuel added to the fire for the dollar going purely fiat and the amount of printing that occurred, especially through the tech crisis, uh, the mortgage, the Lehman crisis, the Great Recession, um, the 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 uh, shutdowns in 2020 due to the health scare and everything that's occurred, we just print and print and print and print and print. And that's why the last part of the chart just went blew up. But that means the fall from that, uh, the other side of that is going to be a mess because we're going to have the currency crash of the dollar. We're going to have, you know, the the overvaluations of the stock and real estate and bond markets, which are going to correct. You know, those are the things that are going to come crashing down. And overall, I think the correction is going to be much bigger this time. Now, does it start in 2024? I think it probably does. Stay tuned to Thursday when we get into updating you on fractals and just a section of that Elliott wave analysis. Now, I'm not, you know, I do look for patterns and a little bit of a warning here, but I don't like picking specific dates because a lot of times those don't necessarily work out. But when you get into long-term uh, technical analysis, it really is a measure of human behavior. And as you look at it, there are patterns that emerge and the patterns that are emerging are likely silver and gold are going to do very well this year. We're going to focus a little bit on silver on Thursday, but stay tuned for that. And that'll be on the hills of Hotchberg who came on our program last Thursday. He's been a lot of the mainstream media outlets, very well respected. He was very bullish on gold and silver starting probably late spring, early summer. The analysis I'm going to give you says that this could start in spring and move through the summer, maybe even th through the rest of the year. And the move's going to be big. Remember fractals, as we re review fractals, fractal is a pattern, but the pattern can be exponential to the upside or to the downside. So this one doesn't have to be as big or small as previous ones. It can be bigger or smaller. I think it's going to be bigger. And we're going to look at that. And that's the benefit of that kind of analysis. That's a follow-up to what we did a couple months ago. We originally looked at the potential boom in silver coming up, we thought, in this year. So a lot of the signs, both fundamentally and technically, are pointing to the fact that gold and silver should have a big year, that we're probably going to have a big crash in the stock, real estate, and bond markets. Of course, because of what's going on in a presidential election year, it could be that the Fed, the Treasury, uh, the government really tries to prop up the system as much as possible. It doesn't mean that they can stop the cascade fall of the fundamentals or companies laying off or the destruction of jobs or the destruction of manufacturing or um, the likely massive increase in price of commodities due to scarcity and those types of factors. But they can kind of cover it up with statistics or with language in the media and that type of thing to make you feel better than you are. Of course, if you're on the ground and you're a consumer 
and you've done your buy now, pay later, maxed out your credit cards, and we start to see consumer spending fall, you know the truth because you're on the ground. And so there's going to be this cognitive dissonance between what people are seeing on the ground and what the government's saying. And I expect that to increase this year. Stay tuned to the channel as we continue to do more. This is your weekly market wrap. Thank you so much. I've been your host, Rob Keynes with goldsilverpros.com. Also, go to www.goldsilverpros.com. Go to the bottom and sign up for the newsletter. That's where we do our deals. We're going to have our deals out this week on gold and silver and some collectibles and things like that. If you're interested, get on that mailing list. That's free. We typically do this two to three to four times a month. We send out that email with specials. You'll get the specials first if you sign up there. Another thing that you can do is go to www.goldsilverpros.com, click on discounts and uh, sign up on that spreadsheet uh, to where we'll announce new deals. Let me show you how that works. We just go over here. We go to www.goldsilverpros.com. You simply click on the discount tab up here. This gives you, we update this about once a day. So you want a, a call or email and we get you the latest prices. But if you want to buy gold and silver, we have special deals on these particular items that we can get uh, a little bit in bulk for you. If you want to order uh, one or more of these, the minimum is about $500 for silver and a thousand for gold uh, to get those deals. But if you're going to buy in any sort of amount, that's the best way to do it because we can discount that. A lot of times we can ship directly from uh, the mint or the wholesaler directly to you, or we can ship from store stock. And that's a way for you to get in a little bit cheaper than what you may see on some popular online outlets. So we do have that available at all times. What you do is just click on that access discount link on the website. It takes you to the Google form, fill it out, and I'll call or email you back and we'll tell you what we have. All right, that's going to do it for today. We're right at 30 minutes. We did it. We did 30 minutes or less. Great job, guys. Lots of data, lots of good stuff there for you. Stay tuned to the channel this week and to our Twitter or our X channel as we continue to bring you the latest on what's going on in the economy and take a look at what's going on in culture and politics a little bit as well and how that affects the economy. Until next time, this is Rob Keats, your host with www.goldsilverpros.com.